We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hi, everyone. Ben here. I'm recording a quick addendum here on Monday, February 28th, before you hear a great chess conversation with Grandmaster Joel Benjamin and Harold Scott. The conversation with Joel and Harold was recorded about 10 days prior, um, so well before the ongoing atrocities in Ukraine, the invasion by Vladimir Putin into the the country. Um, I've been devastated by the news, as I'm sure a lot of you have. Um, I've also been inspired by the spirit of the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, by the Ukrainian people, and, and also by the Russians who bravely spoken out against Putin's war crimes. Um, being a chess player, and especially the host of this podcast, it sort of frames my perspective about Ukraine. I've never been there, but of course, I've read about like David Bronstein and Leonard Stein, and I've talked to modern champions like Vasily Vanchuk, Anna Muzichuk, and Ruslan Panamaryov. 
um, as well as emigres like Yuri Kraken, Eugene Perlstein, Yaroslav Zerobuk, and uh, the list goes on. And you know, with all of these people, I've been impressed by their their kindness and their worldliness. So it really um, give, you know helps me see the humanity involved in these uh, atrocities. Um, online, there have been statements from Ukraine top player Pavel Ilyanov, excuse me, and uh, Grandmaster Alexander Skopa even posted a photo online of him having taken up arms to defend his his land. So um, the images are devastating. And this all feels so unnecessary. So I'm wishing for the safety of all Ukrainian people and for them to swiftly and successfully defend their homeland and to begin to rebuild their country. Um, here on Perpetual Chess, um, the, the primary goal is going to be to keep things business as usual. They're going to be organic conversations. So often we will be providing an escape from all of the news, talking primarily about chess-related topics as in this and the future episodes, but did, again, want to acknowledge what's going on. And I'll put a few links of ways you can help support Ukraine. Uh, U.S. Chess and Kasparov Chess are doing a great initiative to support chess players in particular, but obviously all the people need support. So anyone who's able to help, uh, I encourage you all to do so. Um, so hang in there, everyone. And on that note, here is an enjoyable interview, Talking Chess with Grandmaster Joel Benjamin and Harold Scott. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined by co-authors this week. We have the six-time World Open champion, the three-time U.S. champion, 2020 U.S. senior champion, author, trainer, and return guest, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin joining us, and his co-author, FIDE certified trainer, tournament director, and author, Harold Scott. Uh, They have just written the fantastic new book, Winning the World Open Strategies for Success at America's Most Prestigious Chess Tournament. It's a very unique book in my mind. I read it and enjoyed it greatly. And of course, I grew up in Philadelphia where it's often staged. So I have a lot of my own memories of this tournament, but it's part historical retrospective, part biographies of a lot of the sort of most successful players there, and part chess instruction, because there's some great annotated games. Uh, So I I can't think of a lot of other books like it, and I greatly enjoyed it, and I'm excited to welcome our guests to the show. So welcome, Joel and Harold. Hey, Ben, good to be here. Thank you for having us, Ben. Yeah, my pleasure. Just, Just an amazing job on this book. I'm so excited to dig in, but I guess one thing we should say uh, right from the beginning, we're recording here on February 16th. This uh, will come out on February 28th. Is uh, this week the news broke that uh, Bill Goitsberg, of course, is the founder of Con- the Continental Chess Association, the founder of the World Open. His wife and uh, professional partner, Brenda, passed away. Um, Harold, I know that you had a lot of interactions with her. Uh, what, what could you say about uh, Brenda Goitsberg? Yeah, you know, the the thing that uh, I remember most about Brenda is whenever I would work tournaments with her, she she always asked about my mother. Uh, my mother was undergoing illnesses, uh, an illness of uh, multiple myeloma. And whenever I saw uh, Brenda at a tournament, first thing she would ask is, how is your mother doing? Now, she didn't know my mom uh, at all, but she was caring and, and kind enough to ask about how she was doing. So, uh when I when I think of Brenda, I, I think of you know how how considerate she was. 
Yeah, I didn't know her that well personally, but as I said, I played a lot of World Opens, and Bill Gortzberger, of course, can be a bit gruff, and he's often stressed when he's running the tournaments, but I remember Brenda as always a welcoming presence. Um, Bill himself wrote an email to the Continental Chess email list, so I thought I would uh, just quickly read what he wrote, which is, he wrote, uh, my heart is heavy with grief, the light of my life is gone, my wonderful wife Brenda passed away yesterday after an illness that had mostly confined her to bed for the past year. She had appeared to be recovering lately, making her passing even more of a shock. For almost 40 years, Brenda worked the registration table at many Continental Chess events, receiving late entries, buys, and withdrawals. We traveled together to almost every part of the USA. While I was usually preoccupied with various tasks and issues that arise at a big tournament, she never failed to visit a nearby food outlet and appear with my lunch or dinner or remind me that I had to eat. She had a great sense of humor. Um, so... Rest in peace to Brenda. Was sad to read that news, and and I had noted in the book that you mentioned that Bill missed his first World Open because she was ill last year. Yeah, you yeah, know, and so. I I also wrote the article for New and Chess Magazine, and and you know we were hoping to to see her again next year, but uh, sadly that that she won't be at the fiftieth. Yeah, and this year will be the 50th anniversary of the World Open for listeners outside the U.S. It's kind of the flagship open tournament here in the United States, large prize fund, um, lots of top players such as Joel Benjamin himself, and it's also sort of a staging ground for up-and-coming players. You guys write about a young Hikaru playing, a young Gata Komsky, um, and so many others that pass through. Um, so it's, it's a great tournament to do a retrospective on, um, Joel, maybe you could tell us, I believe this turn, this book was a uh, Harold's idea, but so how did you receive it when Harold approached you about working on this <laughs> book? Well, you know, I, I believe I said in the, in the introduction that this was the book that I wanted to write, but didn't know I wanted to write. So it, it and, and you know, it's, um, in the publishing business, you know, every every book, book uh, what, what they're always pushing is things to be instructional. And uh, this book is instructional, but mostly it's a slice of history. And um, so, you know, uh, not everybody, not authors don't always gravitate towards that, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, when Harold uh, pitched it, well, first of all, I was going to do it anyway, just, you know, out of friendship. Um, but, you know, if Harold had approached me with a different project, then maybe, you know, I would have, you know, slapped my name on it, maybe written a few chapters or <laughs> edited a few things. But uh, but because it was this, you know, a, a, a tournament, this, this tournament, I'm probably, you know, mostly more connected to this tournament than any other event. So, you know, I felt it very personally. And, uh, you know, I ended up taking on a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the work and it was, uh, you know, just cause I wanted to do it. Uh, you know, I had, I had so much that I wanted to talk about, you know, from, from so many experiences, uh, that it was, um, it was really an enjoyable process, uh, doing this. Yeah. See how, her- see how I roped you into the project. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're we're glad that you did. I mean, again, it's a uh, um, so much detail, and there is some instructional chess content. But I get what you're with your saying. What you're saying, I mean, for me, uh, what differentiates it are the stories um, and and the historical context. And before we do get into sort of the chess lessons we can learn, and Joel, have you reflect on a few of your 
victories and uh, and disappointments along the way. I did think maybe, Harold, you could take us through a bit of the early beginnings of the World Open. I mean, now it's like we kind of take it for granted as this large-scale um, event. Again, one of the biggest open tournaments in the U.S., generally the biggest. But what could you tell listeners that, that they might not know about uh, how Bill Goitschberg founded it in the early days when it wasn't even yet in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, uh, originally on 4th of July weekend, uh, the tournament that CCA in the early days was doing was the Atlantic Open. And then they uh, he wanted to do something uh, a, a bit grander, uh, on a, even though that was a successful tournament for CCA. And uh, so he chose uh, July 4th weekend to to start this tournament called, that we now know as the World Open uh, in 1973. And, and back then, it was uh, there was only a handful of, of uh, you know title players, not not too many grandmasters, not like it is nowadays. Uh, and but uh, yeah, and then uh, in, in its second year, he brought he did something very smart. He brought in Bent Larson, which really lended credibility to this tournament early on, and 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 lended to uh, the the World Open as it is by by bringing in a top ten player in the world at that time. So uh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and he lined up, lined up some simuls for Bent Larson to make it worth his while to fly he, across he, the pond. He did, although they weren't as as uh, successfully attended as uh, he hoped. But uh, Joel Joel has a I little bit there. of history himself. Yeah. Oh wow! I played him. Yeah, ten years old. I played Bent Larson, and I I think I was the last game finished, but he got me. <laughs> he, got me as, he got me as an adult too. <laughs> he was a player. <laughs> and Joel. So that being the second World Open, was that your first one, or were you at the first one as well? I played in the second World Open, 1974, in the booster section. Um, you know, players who are familiar with the World Open know that there, there are multiple sections according to your rating category. Um, back then, it was just two, the Open and the booster, the booster which was under 1,800. And uh, I was, uh, I guess, about 1,600 then, so the booster section was perfect for me. I played in it uh, for um, uh, two years before I, I graduated uh, into the Open. Um, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool um, to be part of that tournament. Uh, just as a, a comment about the, the World Open, um, in, in one of the early articles, I don't remember – which year it was, early Chess Life article, I believe World Open is in quotes, you know, because at the beginning, it was, you know, it sounded like a joke to call it the World <laughs> Open, you know, kind of like the World Series, right? But, you know, as as uh, history went on, it seems more appropriate because it really does, it has drawn uh, great players from all over the yeah, Joel, I know you have kids. It's like in the movie Elf, where the the New York City coffee shop has the world's best coffee sign, which you can find in basically you know, a, a, a thousand yeah. coffee shops yeah. in, uh, yeah. across New York. Yeah, that's that dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's exactly. me. I got the proof. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's lived lived up to its title subsequently. And speaking yeah. of uh, pop culture references, before I tell you guys, I before I forget to tell you guys, I did enjoy the little Seinfeld reference you guys uh, got in with the uh the grandmasters of their domain 
um, uh, deep within the book. Um, I think that was Harold. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't even catch that. Are you, yeah. are you sure? I, I thought it was you. <laughs> you guys are um, only supposed to uh, not take credit for the errors, not the uh, <laughs> not the jokes that well, land. We're, but... we're, we're glad you liked it either way. <laughs> but, um, so, Joel, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but you... Ilya Nizhnik is nipping at your heels, but you still have the the record for the most World Open titles, correct? Yes, and I, I learned about this be, before I knew I was going to be writing a book about uh, about the, the World Open. But I, I learned about it from a piece that Dylan McLean did in uh, New in Chess. He has a little column where he just you know talks about chess oddities, and uh, you know he listed you know like uh, the most frequent winner of various tournaments in the world open and and there was my name it's like i I had never thought about it before but i had uh, tied for it six times and and i of course i joked in the book that i should uh uh i missed my opportunity to demand that everyone refer to me as six-time world open champion (laughs) joel benjamin (laughs) well i did get it in the intro (laughs) yeah (laughs) um of course, and, uh, homage to uh, Walter Brown, six-time U.S. champion. Yes. Um, and in reflecting on the World Open, so obviously you've had your share of successes, but, you know, you don't always win. You played, uh, you know, basically every year um, in your in your competitive prime, Joel. Yeah. So what when you think of your tensest moment in the World Open, the, the most, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, first prize this year is $20,000. You've got to adjust for inflation as you move backward, but generally that's sort of around the price point. So obviously it can, can be a significant boost to one's income. Uh, what was your tensest moment of all, of all the, the times you were playing near the top at the World Open? <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Um, y- you know, I would say that only the last time, uh, my, my last victory in 2006, did I really was I really thinking about the money? Because by that time I was, I was married and I had, you know, bought a house in New Jersey and I started to think about (laughs) bills for the first time in my life. So I was very uh, conscious of that. And and in in the last game against the grandmaster Sandy pond or Chanda depending on, you know, what they consider his last name to be on any given day. um, I, was going for the win in that game with the white pieces. Uh, I did not want to play it safe. And I should have won that game because I thought like, you know, let me go for the big money. But, you know, and I almost got, I don't know, 20,000, almost had 20,000 all to myself. But as, as it was, I, I tied for first every time. But, you know, I guess um, the ones that really kind of stick are those last round losses. And I had two horrible ones in 1983 and 19. 19- 86 you know i could have won a couple of more titles very early 83 um i played really a fantastic tournament and then i lost the last round to leonid bass and in 86 i lost to uh yasa sarawan in the last round but you know this I, I i talk about um openly in the book that um you have to have the right kind of mentality and um you know, I I wasn't really good. I didn't really have the best uh, open tournament mentality because those last rounds, 
if it was the last round I needed to win, I was good at that. And I won some of those. But, you know, if I felt like I was already on top and I had everything to lose, it's difficult psychologically to not think about that. And that's one thing that, uh, that uh, I learned from working on this book and all the great interviews that, that we did with the champions is those guys were really mentally tough, you know, like yeah. they never, they never said, Oh, I was really nervous in this game. You know, it's like when they were, when they were in the zone, as we called it, they said like, Oh yeah, I felt so good. I, you know, I knew I was going to win. <laughs> and, and whose mentality impressed you guys the, the most? Um, I'm going to say Yermo. Yeah, because Yermo in the 90s was invincible. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, once the decade ended, you know, his life changed a little bit and he had a tougher time. But for for those years, he was always there. You know, like he, he picked up all those titles in a short amount of time. Some of them were clear wins and big scores. And he was, you know, he just eye on the prize, and you could not knock him off it. So, he, as for consistency, he was most impressive for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for me, Shaba uh, certainly because of his fearlessness, mm. and uh, Golden when when he had that enormous year, uh, he said that you know he was he was just feeling it from yeah. from the first round. He, he was feeling something special, like this was my tournament. Uh, he was in uh, what we talk about uh, a perfect emotional state uh, for himself at that time. So he was he was in uh, rarefied air. Yeah, Yermo for newer listeners, of course, being legendary grandmaster Alex Yermolinsky, who's best known these days. I mean, he does he's done some videos for ICC and uh, you know semi-retired, affectionately known as Uncle Yermo. But yeah, I remember <laughs> as as an up and coming, I guess you could say, player at those World Opens. He just he was just dominant as you as you I, say. I have, Joel. I have to point out something else about Yermo that you probably don't know. For forty years. He has been a big time Cincinnati Bengals fan. So oh, he's wow. in a little bit of mourning over the Super Bowl. Ah, so he adopted the NFL when he moved to Ohio. Um, he moved I to can... Ohio, but I think the Browns were, ju- were just a horror show. So he decided to root for the Bengals. And, uh, yeah, so he's a Bengals fan. Shout out to Yermo. And of course, by Shaba, we mean another legendary uh, Soviet era emigre, Alexander Shabalov, who told some great stories and, of course, has. As as Harold alluded to, has um that that style that's so fitting for when you're navigating this field of lower rated players, just uh, crushing attacking style, schooled under Mikhail Tal himself. So, yeah. um, excellent choices. Yeah, and I love the little nugget about uh you know uh, Alexander Golden, who you guys mentioned about his um the the fact that he was basically giving odds in a lot of those years because he was a smoker. Yeah, had to, had to run out <laughs> in order to smoke uh, during the games. Yeah, not only smoking, but um, but if you've you know played in in World Opens in the, in the latter years when you know Bill put a lot of thought into the the staging of the room, he he would like to for the open mm-hmm. section, the, for the top boards to be in a corner where they would be least disturbed, which meant farthest away from the entry. So imagine that you're running low on time and you have to go to the bathroom. It was like a marathon to get to the bathroom and back. So it's really something 
<laughs> it's like maybe they should have given us little bottles, you know, for, for the game <laughs> or adult Space diapers suits. for 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 time pressure. <laughs> and uh, and Joel, you mentioned this uh, this men- this loss to Yaz, not to drudge up bad memories, but was the the painful aspect just the result, or was there something that happened in the game that made no, it particularly no. painful? Well, the, the result, yes, but uh, when I look back on it, you know. Uh, you know, he did one of these Yasser things, you know, he, he, he gave up his fee in Kedod Bishop to saddle me with an isolated pawn, but he weakened the light squares around his king. And objectively, this was good for me. It's a good position. And it's not just that I lost it, but I never had the mentality to win the game, even though winning the game would have tied me with Nick DeFermian and given me a boatload of cash. I was really, I was never optimistic about about the game. I was giving my opponent too much credit, even though I beat Yasser a lot of times after that game, you know. So, I mean, I could have done it there, but uh, that that was that's the worst part of it is that I just felt that my my I was not I was in the wrong frame of mind for the game. Okay. And Harold, you're, of course, a USCF expert, hoping to make master, you mentioned, and you've been involved both as a player and a tournament director at the World Open. So what is what is your tensest moment in, in either capacity? Playing in- I, I, I haven't had the trials and tribulations like Joel has had under, <laughs> under, under fire for many years. The, the tensest moment I had back in, it was in the 80s when I was playing in the World Open in like 1985. I was playing in the under 1800 section and I was 4-0. and uh, And I think at the time the it was an eight-round tournament, so I was, I was sitting pretty good. And then I overslept and forfeited round five. And that just knocked the, the the wind out of my sails at that point. So uh, everything else in, in my World Open uh, history has has been a piece of cake. Uh, so, uh, but that that was that was uh, a moment that that is kind of still raw a little bit because it was a spoiled opportunity, and and I had nobody to blame but myself. Yeah, I mean. Managing nerves, managing sleep, even for, you know, people like you and I, Harold, people not playing for the top prize in the whole tournament, uh, you know, that stuff definitely comes into play. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, uh, So totally understandable. Well, another thing that I love about the book is that, you know, there's there's. Um, misadventures, tales of misadventures, you know, uh, drinking, cheating, and uh, we'll, we'll save some of them for the book, but I also want to dig into a couple of them. But first, we're going to uh, take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Listeners, I've got good news. I know you're looking for an update on my AIM chess analytics, and I'm happy to report that I'm now only behind on the clock in Blitz chess 69% of the time. Huge progress. So if I can keep up that 2% improvement in no time, I'll always be ahead on the clock and I'll probably win more games because of it. And of course, with aimchess.com, you can use their algorithm to dissect your own game, look at trends from openings, different phases of the game. Uh, And of course, they give you actionable puzzles based on whatever your strengths and weaknesses are. So go to aimchess.com and check it out. They automatically scrape your games from the major chess playing sites to give you the insights you need to work on your game. So if you go to aimchess.com and decide to subscribe, be sure to use the code PERPETUAL30. Links in the show notes. So let's get back to the show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. And guys, one thing I have to say about the book is, you know, you alluded to cheating early in the book. And of course, I was there for some of the stories, which which we, we hopefully will touch upon. But you also talk about sort of a Soviet consortium, which there were rampant tales. I've told the story myself before that part of the reason I studied Russian in college is because uh, Russians would always be talking to each other during my games. And- I, I tried that too. Successfully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just needed to know what they were saying. Um, but I was glad to see, you know, not to, um, not for the purposes of embarrassment, but just, you know, for the the sake of clarity, because you see so many reports, but you guys actually do name a few names and show a few games of, of games that, um, that uh, may not have been on the up and up big money games that may have been prearranged. Um, so uh, I, I'll kick it over to you guys. I mean, I, I don't know if favorite is the right word, but to you, what is the, uh, the biggest cheating scandal or the one that listeners uh, should be aware of? Uh, from all of the uh, attempts to um, um, dishonestly earn earn these big prizes over the years, Harold, you want to take that one first? Well, yeah, I I, I think the, uh, definitely the the the, the Russian uh, the Soviet consortium uh, is, is and it has certainly affected uh, you in 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 tournaments like that, uh, and that was that was when the with the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, we had a lot of these players being able to travel now, and they and they came to the World Open in, in hope of of seeking riches. And uh, uh, it needs to be said that there there's there was two class of uh, former Soviet Union uh, players that were playing in in this in this event, and those were those who were just coming and hoping to to gain money. And then there was the players that they were hoping to make America their new home. Uh, players like Shabalov and Yermolinsky and, and so forth, who who had a, a, a an eye, a, a bigger eye uh, on you know let let's not do these things because you know they they have to make their home here now. Uh, so in, in 1990, there was a, a particular um, uh, well. Let's rewind for a second. What they would do is they would play together as a team, and uh, in they they came to the understanding that in critical rounds, the last round, if they were to play against each other, that they realized that uh, a win would make more money than a draw would if they were paired against each other. So they were willing to sacrifice a game if necessary to get the larger prize, and then they would divvy out the prizes however uh, they would. And so in 1990, there's a story in particular, and 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 uh, Shaba and Yermo provided great detail uh, to us on, on what was going on and what was uh, uh, thought to be going on. And uh, Shaba tells us the, the story that, uh, that going into the last round, there was this pairing of Rashkovsky, uh, no, it was uh, Cheshkovsky, Cheshkovsky yeah. and, and Gleck. 
and they were to be playing against each other. And then Shaba had a pairing against uh, Ilya Smirin. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 he tells a rather funny story how the sauna at the uh, Adams Mark Hotel served to be a sort of headquarters for the consortium. Uh, and that, uh, and that uh, Rashkovsky would say, uh, well, what's going what's gonna to happen in your game? Are you guys going to play? And uh, then they they said, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna take a draw here. So and they didn't want any part of what what was going on there. And and Roshkovsky says, well, I can tell you one thing: there is going to be a result in this game of Cheshkovsky and Gleck. So meaning someone's gonna win. It's yes, not gonna be a draw. Yeah, that's correct. And that was all the more reason why the. Uh, Shaba and and Smirin didn't want to be any part of of that, you know. Basically, they were telling him, you know, a draw isn't going to be good enough for your game. He was giving them uh, information right there, but they didn't use that to their advantage. They they said, let's make this draw. Let's. Well, they weren't part of the consortium anyway. They, they were. Yeah. They were not. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, so uh, Lech ended up winning the game. Uh, and, uh, this was a problem, uh, for, you know, uh, the American players who, you know, were, uh, you know, that, the, that they could have this sort of advantage. And it wasn't until, uh, uh, was it 1994? 94. Yeah. Where, uh, Rashkovsky thought he was going to get one pairing in round in the final round. And he ended up getting King Luke Van Wiley. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, and he ended up so Deutschberg actually uh, uh, changed the pairings or, or adopted a different method of, of doing the pairings. Let's just say uh, to make sure that uh, two former Soviet Union players uh, uh, were current, not two current Soviet Union, yeah. well, former Soviet Union, right? It was yeah, we're, Soviet Union, but. They were still in Russia, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and they were not paired against each other in the last round. And so I, I think this effectively ended any of their uh, future uh, further attempts. Yeah, so, so so just to clarify for listeners, so, you know, obviously um, you can generally make a guess at what the pairing will be if it's done by the book, if it's done according to the letter. Or, we'll, we'll yeah. With the computer, yeah. That he might change. Yeah, but Goitzberg basically unilaterally made a rule that I can change the pairings because he felt like he had to do something about uh, these these groups cheating. And I'm sure that there were. It's great that you guys and the game you know you have in the book, the Gleck game you referenced. It is a uh, um, not not the most sparkling game you'll see. <laughs> pretty um, pretty poor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I'm sure there were others as well. And uh, you from the class sections, you guys have a couple stories as well. But I'm sure there have been others. But they the cheat very poorly in the class yeah. sections. <laughs> they, play, they play worse and they cheat worse, you know, because yeah. they're, they're not used to playing for money. So, yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 was directly, I was directly involved in one just a few years ago where I was suspecting a guy. He was standing up wearing sunglasses like he was giving a simul. 
and, uh, and, and, he, and he smoked his opponent in like 20-something moves. He was playing the black side of a French defense. This was in the under-2200 section. And uh, But this guy, this is like, you ever see the show Stupid Criminals or, or, or Dumb Criminals, whatever they call it? And, and, they, and they make... So this guy, he plays his game, and, and he's doing well. He's won a few games. And then he goes up to uh, our friend Natasha Christensen, and he goes... Uh, do you have a mixed doubles partner? You know, which is uh, something that's uh, prevalent at uh, Continental Chess Association events uh, where you can have a, a female player and a male player and they can be a team. And uh, he says, you, you, you would do good by teaming up with me because I'm going to win my section. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course, Natasha came right to me and said, this guy, do you know this guy, what's going on? I said, yeah, we're we're kind of keeping an eye on this guy, <laughs> <laughs> and that that just kind of confirmed it uh, uh, a little bit more. And then the, the here's the kicker. Here's here's what tops the cake is we get a call from this guy's ex girlfriend saying that the guy is uh, was here with a friend and they were working together to cheat. And uh, so, the, you know, you know, it just goes to show to you that uh, if you plan on uh, doing something nefarious, uh, don't let your, your girlfriend in on it because... Or, you know, or at she, least don't break up with her. Yeah, she, she could become the ex-girlfriend, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and then hang you out to dry. <laughs> but, but so what Goitschberg did uh, for the, the following round is he isolated uh, this player in a room with somebody else. And uh, and one director was in there, Jabari McGreen, and his level of play was far less, and he lost the game, <laughs> and and that was that. So, and was that the guy that tried to cheat at a Sudoku tournament too, or was no, that- no, no, no? That was that was uh, 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 what's his name? Rasses, uh, right? No, no, no. Uh, that was the the Cat in the Hat for uh, Varsha. Cat in the Hat, right, right, uh, yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he did yeah, that was the uh, 2009 uh, uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, I think, uh, okay. Sudoku event. Hard to hard to keep all the cheaters straight. Well, but we do need to tell one more cheater story, at least briefly, which is the the legendary uh, air quotes John von Neumann um, uh, appearance at the World Open. Yeah, that uh, you were there for that one, uh, Ben. I was. And, I remember and, and, me and a young Greg Shahadi just gawking at the whole spectacle. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes criminals seem to want to get caught. That yeah, was an example of that. And you Joel, know, you, you were there as well, right? Yeah, so, no, I, I I witnessed all that stuff. I I wrote about it. In, I wrote about it in great detail in Chess Chow, you know, which was a contemporary magazine that I that I edited at the time, and uh, so. Thankfully, because I, I was able to recount a lot of details of it because I had written it down then. And uh, so this is, you know, uh, it, it's a phony, a phony chess player. And they, they get, uh, you know, a black guy with, with dreadlocks who's called von Neumann, which, of course, is a, a famous name from computer science, but also, you know, doesn't really fit the, the picture. So he's very suspicious before he even makes a move. And it's a guy who doesn't know how to play chess. It was very clear that he he understood the algebraic notation so that he could execute a chess move, but he couldn't play. And it was it was just gave him away so so obviously. You know, it was like the the easiest uh, uh, de- cheating de- detection ever. The only thing they did they didn't know is they they didn't know how he cheated 
they didn't know exactly you know how the system worked but it was just obvious from everything else that 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 he couldn't play the the games yeah it was yeah. strange i i understand he was he was just looking around the room not really appearing to be focused on his game uh the the notation he was using was like instead of knight f3 he would go g1 to f3 like something you would see uh, like in, in an old Sergei uh, <laughs> long uh, form <laughs> yeah yeah and uh certainly uh, uh oh oh in round 2 he drew grandmaster Helgi Olafsson so that that was that was a very surprising result there and uh and, but he would lose his games in the most mysterious of ways and and puzzling of ways like uh, his game against Danny Shapiro they, after the uh uh Shapiro's move 9 queen takes d6 he just sat there and let his clock run out so so we we can only speculate that whatever transmission uh, lines of communication between him and his confederate had 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 gone blank there was radio silence there yeah. and and he just sat there and let his clock run out uh, unbelievable situation there that, that uh, that's how you often catch these guys is 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 how they play when you know when you know they're not cheating and uh yeah he 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 literally could not play without someone telling him moves and the the uh, the, the the cat in the hat uh Orshavsky in in 2006 he was ter- absolutely terrible when he played on his own and uh you know that that made it very clear yeah Fun stories and and more details in the book, but there's yeah. also just again tales of uh, other types of hijinks. Which um, I don't know who was responsible for writing this section, but uh, British Grandmaster David Norwood, who of course has gone on to uh, great success in the uh, financial world, he doesn't seem to be so active in chess these days. But um, he he made an appearance, and there was one game that I vaguely remember. Uh, from my teenage years where he was just lining up drink after drink as he, <laughs> as he played. And there were like 17 glasses. Um, uh, Harold, I don't know if it was you or Joel who wrote that, but could you tell a bit about uh, that, that story? It was definitely Joel. I okay. did. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I remember it. Um, the only thing that uh, is, is slightly shrouded in mystery is just how many, uh, I, I remember something like 26. I think wow. uh, I think Norwood uh, thought it was 20. And I have to say, he he was really great about this because I I, I tracked him down. I was hoping to get the game score, uh, which 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 he didn't have, but he did he did basically give the contours of the game, which was which was good enough. And uh, he he very enthusiastically wrote about the story. Um, which, you know, he, he chalks up to, you know, youth, youthful indiscretion, you know, he, he, he knows it was wrong what he did, you know, but, um, but, uh, you know, he, he wasn't ashamed of it. Uh, and, uh, he, he told, uh, in great detail, you know, all the, uh, I I actually wish I could even put more of it, but we, I had to edit it slightly for for space because it was a long story, but what did did you leave out? Well, just, 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 you know, some personal details about what was going on in the tournament and, 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 you know, and, and why he, uh, you know, um, why he was in such a state. He'd actually just lost to Yermo in the eighth round. You know, he was a contender for first. He lost to Yermo. Yermo, um, ended up, uh, winning the tournament. 
So, uh, you know, that's, so he was, he was a little, um, distraught. And, uh, what I did know at the time is that, uh, although he became very successful, that he was worried about his finances at that time. Like, like there was a deal that was going, going south for him. So he was actually very conscious of the fact that he had lost money in the tournament by, by, by dropping that game. So he was, uh, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, a little bit out of sorts for, for that last game. And what he did was he basically went back and forth between the board and the bar. And when he got to the board, he had a uh, bar, he had friends, friends giving him drinks. Right. His game. friends in their quotes. Uh, yeah. And that's how, uh, that's how he, he actually spoke uh, very, um, very warmly of Carol Jarecki for, um, sort of, um, you know, keeping the situation in hand and, uh, you know, not making a big deal about it. <laughs> right. Well, you guys mentioned in the book that she was the one who was like lining up the glasses like trophies. And of course, he's in the sort of cordoned off area. And this is what yes. I remember, just yes. like me, me and Greg Jihadi, just going and looking, pointing and laughing at the, you know, 20 drinks lined up while he plays on the uh, one of the highest boards in the room. Um, yeah, very, very funny. Uh, very funny story. And Joel, hearing both you discuss um, your, your needing the money and your most recent um, co-title for the World Open and the financial ramifications of Norwood's game, that was one uh, you know recurring plot line that I enjoyed. Like you talked about how uh, Nick DeFermian uh, performed well in money games, um, whereas others might sort of wilt under the pressure. What, what patterns do you notice when you look at how these players react to playing a chess game for say fifteen twenty thousand dollars well the thing is you know we we interviewed the the heroes of the world open who were guys that won generally won the tournament multiple times and there's a reason why they won multiple times is because they had ice water in their veins you know that that they were able to handle the pressure and um you know that's 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 just it they just you know, thought that it's you know that this this is this is my job, and I'm just gonna just gonna focus on the pieces and do the best I can. Um, I actually talked about this in in a, a completely different uh, in a con- completely different uh, book, better uh, better thinking, better chess. You know, talked about you know how things can go wrong. You know, like uh, flaws in cognitive uh, approach, and I mentioned you know the one game I had, and this was actually you know fairly recent where I I got a position I liked out of the opening and suddenly I started thinking about hey you know I'm going to win this game I might get back into the US championship and that like I blundered almost immediately right. you know cuz I'm thinking about the wrong things I'm distracted you can't you can't let that happen and and I mentioned that uh, you know I wish I, I wish I had more shaba in me because Shaba, like like every week, it's you know it would be like a, a new last round game, and yeah, he he, he lost plenty of them, but it, you know it did it, it it never stayed with him. It didn't it never stay with him for the next time. He would go out, he'd play the same, and he'd win, and he won a lot of them, you know. And in in the end, it's better to lose some and and, and win some than to draw a lot of them, which is what right. I usually did, you know. Um, because uh, no fear of losing. That's really the important thing is that you cannot fear losing. Huh. And do you think there's, do you think that's something that can be worked on or is it pretty uh, innate? Uh, 
I, I think it's, you know, part of it is, is uh, individual's personality, but yeah, part of it uh, can be worked on. You know, like I have a student right now that I'm working with who is up and coming and, um, you know, she shows me these games with grandmasters and I say, you were too afraid of this guy. You don't realize he's afraid of you. You're up and coming. You can That's knock him point. off, but yeah. you have to believe you can knock him off. You can't play scared. You have to play play this like you're playing a low-rated player and you want to win the game. Play yeah. without fear. And, and one, of, one of our heroes, Ilya Nizhnik, the, the, it, uh, he talks about psych, psychological burdens and uh, that he didn't want to put himself under any psychological pressure, like feeling that he had to win a particular game or that he had to win with white, you know, win with white, draw with black, like they used to say. Uh, he didn't want to put himself under that additional pressure. He just wanted to play the game and and see what the result of the game was. I, I think it's it, it's good not to put yourself under that kind of pressure in a game and, and just just make the moves and concentrate on that. Yeah, I found the Nizhnik uh, chapter very instructive generally about how he navigates these fields. And uh, yeah, he's he's still a young man, so he's if he yeah. keeps playing these word opens, he could win a lot of them. He he struck us as, as a kind of uh, confident yet yet humble kind of guy. Uh, he, he was yeah impressive young man to to talk to. Yeah, not not wholly surprising then the the success he had. So one more story that I thought might be fun for you guys to to share with our listeners is um you know uh, Edward uh, Gufeld. His his name has come up on the podcast here and there, and people have not made <laughs> people have you know generally we try not to um um criticize those who have passed, but his his reputation is um y- unique in the chess world. So um oh, what what stories could we share about Gufeld's behavior at the World Open? Oh, I, I could certainly uh, we could talk about other stories at other tournaments, but yeah, we could. I, I, I don't think we want to go there. So, but uh, in in particular, there's this game against Sunil Wiramantri, uh that he played that we feature in the book. And uh, pri- prior to this, the, Gufeld had a game uh, against um, uh, it was a former so- uh, Soviet player way back when that he would go around and show this is my Mona Lisa. Uh, Bagirov, ba- yeah, Bagirov, yeah. And, I and saw that, a lecture that he gave in Seattle years yeah. ago, where he showed the Mona Lisa. And b- b- by the way, Bagirov was one of uh, uh, Shabalov's mentors as well. He had a choice. Uh, he can go. He he had the ideal setup after school as a young boy, uh, growing up in Latvia. He had a choice. He could work with Tal. As a uh, because he was a top Latvian junior, or he could work with Bagirov because it was paid for by the the, the federation. So uh, on any particular day, he, he he can go and work with either of them. And, and this is Shabalov, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you you think he would be more influenced by uh, by Tal, but Bagirov was was no less of an influence to him, and he picked up a lot of things like some of his openings. Uh, Semislav, Alyekin's defense, English opening, he picked up from Bagirov, and also his endgame play. Uh, he, he learned a lot from Bagirov as well. Uh, 
but but getting back to the the, the Weir Mantry and and Gufeld, uh story, so it was round five in the nineteen ninety six uh, World Open, and uh, so Weir uh, Sunil comes to the board, and Gufeld's sitting there already, and he says in a, in a very uh, light hearted way, "Oh, I I see that we're playing against each other," and and Gufeld responded, "You don't play me, I play you." <laughs> okay, and and Sunil was kind of. Taken and back gen- a little bit about ang- angry, right? Like, <laughs> yes, it's what kind of breeding is that, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, and then, uh, uh, Sunil plays the game and it, uh, a beautiful miniature of, of, of 20 moves, he just absolutely smoked him, yeah. And and uh, and that Gufeld has, has he, he didn't shake hands. You know, this was unfortunately typical of the guy, and he, and he would and he said to Sunil, "Don't let me catch you outside of the United States," <laughs> in a, in a kind of like threatening way. Yeah. And and uh, it was a few years later, believe it or not, that uh, he did apologize to Sunil at, at oh, wow. a at a uh, U.S. Open, uh, and he also had nice things to say of a young Hakaru. You know, but, yeah, we, uh, sh- we should say Sunil, of course, Hikaru's stepdad, and yeah. Hikaru was uh, just an up and comer at that time. Um, but but this is one of of, of many many stories that uh, uh, I've goofed, uh, and and so I you know what I I named this game Sunil's Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to talk about Goofeld a bit, uh, not not to pile on too much because there are a million of these stories. But let's just say he, he was a very unpleasant opponent. And I I did have one game. I beat him a couple of times in Hawaii. Uh, but I, I did have one game in the U.S. Open that I won with some beautiful sacrifices. And I called it my Mona Lisa. And there was a hospitality room there run by Eric Schiller and uh, for grandmasters and juniors. So... Every few hours, I'd say, "Juniors, gather around! Another showing of the Mona Lisa." <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, I lost a few games to him, and he was an unpleasant opponent. And I did, you know, I usually didn't uh, didn't respond well to that kind of hostility. It was a distraction for me. But different players uh, take it differently. For instance, Fedorovich thrives on conflict. You know. <laughs> It's like, a, you know, it's like, you know, in the Bruce Lee movies, you draw blood from him and you're dead. That's it, right? right? Kind of like that with Fed. If Fed was angry, you you were gone. He was yeah. great. It was great motivation for him. Uh, so that, that worked. That worked. Hostility, that, you know, anger, that worked for Fed. Uh, now, but but, but not, not for most players. But in the book, we learned from Alexander Golden he had yeah. a he had a very interesting approach to the problem of Gufeld because he didn't really respond well to to hostility. He didn't want to be angry, but instead he thought of uh, he thought of Gufeld as a comical character, Goofy. He was playing Goofy, and he thought like this guy is just a joke, you know. And that put him you know in a lighthearted, uh, uh, happy mood. And he was able to to win the game. And Harold, I think, can amplify on this uh, this connection that you came up with to the um, the Miracle on Ice story. Yeah, I uh, well, yeah, uh, uh, 
Alex Golden, first of all, he's he's kind of more of a, a spiritual guy. He's he's a Reiki master, by the way. So he he has a this this kind of uh, relaxed look, you know, at the world. So you know, he just thought of him merely as funny, and it reminded me of of the the Miracle on Ice. I, I saw that movie with uh, Kurt Russell, and uh, well, who, who asked me to take a picture with him at the national junior high school championship in 1994 because wow. <laughs> one of his kids played now if, if we remember back to the 1980 uh olympic team uh they had played a an exhibition match against the soviets uh a few weeks prior to the the actual olympics and they got blown out of the water you know it was, it was some ridiculous score and uh so you know, they knew that they would probably be facing the Soviets down the line at some point in the Olympics. So Herb uh, Brooks uh, made a, a light of the fact that one of the, their their captain, uh, Tretyov or something like that, I, I, I forget without, without looking at the book, uh, bore an uncanny resemblance to Stan Laurel of the famous Laurel and Hardy uh, comedy duo. And he made a joke of it, saying, "How can you lose to Stan Laurel? How can you look at the, uh, lose to a team like this?" And he kind of made light of the fact that you know th- that this guy was you know a behemoth as a hockey player, and and they thought of him in the f- in the fact as as this funny character. And it, it, it uh, just these these kind of uh, mind games uh, worked positively in in the situation. So it, that's what I was reminded of, of when uh, Golden was telling the story of he, he just thought of this unpleasant opponent as being merely funny. Hmm. Well, good advice for anyone, because obviously Goofeld was one of a kind, but we all sometimes play people who are clearly, whether intentionally or not, uh, potentially getting under our skin. So it's good to, uh, to adopt the Zen approach of uh, Alexander Golden. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will dive into the listener questions for our co-authors, Grandmaster Joel Benjamin and Harold Scott. Our friends at Chessable keep dropping new courses. Some of their latest include Play the Open Sicilian One by Grandmaster Miguel Santos. That's got 15 trainable lines that you can use to play against the Open Sicilian, kind of one-stop shopping for an opening that can be overwhelming to learn. And friend of the pod, Simon Williams, is out with The Harry Attack, fighting kingside Fianchettos after 1D4, along with I am Richard Palliser. And they've got tons of new stuff coming from Grandmaster Hans Neiman, Linear Dominguez, and the list goes on. And all of their courses, of course, utilize space repetition to help you remember the opening or tactical sequence or end game that you learn. So be sure to go to chessable.com and take a look at what is new. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back, and here is our first listener question. 
So number one, Joel, following up on our first interview, which was episode 104, December 2018, some some great stories uh, in, in that one that listeners should definitely check out if they haven't already. And we, you alluded earlier, Joel, to uh, Chess Chow Magazine, of course, legendary uh, sort of satirical news coverage of, uh, of the chess world. And uh, Jonathan Evans writes in to ask, he says, I had a subscription to Chess Chow, but had to sell it when m- money was tight. Do you have any plans to sell your stockpile or do you know if there's a place to get them? I check eBay often, but haven't seen any yet. Uh, I probably have most of the outstanding copies of Chess Chow, so um, uh, he should let me know what you know what issues he needs, and uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll be able to to put that together to sell. I don't I don't have every single issue for that I could uh, that I could sell, but I have most of them. Okay, so maybe I can put you guys in touch privately, Joel. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, yeah, and definitely for listeners who do try to track it down, I only have a couple issues myself, even though I did read many of them when they came out, as we talked about in the uh, in the the prior interview. Um, and related to uh, chess improvement, um, and of course, again, I, I you mentioned uh, better thinking, better chess, which I have recommended before, as we discussed before. It's a great book. Um, along with uh, liquidation on the chessboard and your other works, Joel. Um, Alex Friedman writes in to ask, he says, Wikipedia says that Joel Benjamin is known for converting very small advantages into a win. Any tips on how to get good at that? Personally, I'm mostly known for converting very big advantages into a loss. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe he should be known for a sense of humor. That's pretty funny. Um, uh, The most interesting part of that question actually is, who wrote that yeah, Wikipedia? Because yeah. you know that's something we don't think about. You know, we we mostly you know take Wikipedia for granted. That okay, it's I mean it's mostly true, but you know a lot of these things are the opinions of the people who write, and we we have I I do not I do not know who who ha- I mean maybe a lot of people have been involved in writing my Wikipedia page. I know that my mom has gone on to to, to correct a few errors from time to time. Um, but anyway, um, I mean, I, I, I would say that converting small advantages, I don't know if I'm, you know, really known for it, but I, it's part of my arsenal. Um, but, you know, what's the, the key to it is, 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 I guess, is patience. You know, a lot of people, they, they want to win quickly. Um, they want to they want to win with fun. Uh, converting small advantages is not often that much fun. And it often takes a while. So you have to be patient. You have to understand that very often you win the game, not even necessarily because of your winning plan, but because your opponent gets tired of being tortured and, and you know, makes makes a run for it and uh, and fails and you win in some other unexpected, unexpected way. But a big key to uh, exploiting small advantages is understanding small advantages. So, you know, you kind of have to, you have to learn some strategy. So you have to, you know, you know, study some books on, on various strategy. Um, you know, and, and there is literature that covers this, this kind of thing. Uh, I didn't write so much about small advantages, but I, I did have a chapter in Better Thinking, Better Chess called Winning the One Game. I also had a chapter called Swindling, you know, yeah. winning, winning the lost game and winning the one game, because I think, you know, those are, you know, very important parts of, of chess. 
but um, you know, it's not a ma- there's no magic wand for it. It's 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 difficult, but um, but I you know I think that all grandmasters are able to do those things these days. You know, the, the players are very versatile. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned the the need for for being patient, and I, I think in our book the the we talk about uh, Ilya Smirin when he was facing lower rated opponents. He knew that you know they could play many many good moves, but they would come to a point that they would make their mistake, and he would outclass them. And he realized the need to be patient when facing a lower rated opponents. And not necessarily to jump on the first little misstep that they they uh, often tend to do. So yeah, the, I think that's a great lesson that you say being patient in, in, in those positions. Yeah, yeah, I've I've experienced that even even recently. And to Alex's question, obviously, if you have the the patience for it, you can practice against engines and converting advantages. I personally, I always get flagged as it always gets flagged as a weakness of mine by the aim chess algorithm converting advantages. But I still, <laughs> I don't have the patience to sit there and practice against a computer like I should. But certainly, it would be it would be a, a good thing to do. Don't practice as a computer because the computers always defend. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's depressing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even if I practice like up two pawns, like in the- it would probably be really good for my game. Although, like you say, Joel, I'd, I'd probably lose some of them. <laughs> that would be super, super depressing. Um, so what other, before we wrap up, guys, what, what other advice could we extrapolate from, you know, this deep dive into all these uh, legendary players for... Um, how to approach Swisses and uh, sort of the the psychological side of uh, managing a, a a long tiring chess tournament. Well, um, first of all, uh, you have to be in a good place. You know, you you, you have to be uh, you have to be hungry. You know, like you don't want to you don't want to play in too many tournaments or too many uh, or too few tournaments beforehand. So you want you don't want to be rusty. You don't want to be stale either. Um, you have to feel good about how things are going. You have to feel feel confident. You have to be prepared. It doesn't mean you have to have encyclopedic knowledge of openings, but you know you don't want to go into the game and waste a lot of time thinking about what your strategy is going to be. You know, for the for the for the stronger players, the more sophisticated players, there's there's extra things we learned a lot from from our heroes. Like Shaba said, that he would he would prepare one one specific novelty, one new thing, one new twist, and he would save it. He would save it for an important moment. He wouldn't waste it on an early round. But if he got into a money game where he might be able to use it, then then he'd spring it. So you know, sometimes uh, you know, for even for the lower sections, sometimes if you have a little bit of of a surprise. You know, like players might get used to you playing a certain opening. They might, you know, see some of your games and, and be ready for it. If you have something new, that can maybe throw them off balance. Yeah, I, and I also think it's Im, Im very important to to get yourself in a proper routine for the tournament. 
making sure you're getting a proper sleep. And, and also, if you have a late game, sometimes food is not often uh, available at, at, at late hours. So make sure you don't have to be spending extra time hunting around for food in the middle of the night uh, in Philadelphia somewhere. <laughs> uh, so. You want to stay out of the Denny's, you know, because uh, exactly. that, that would take forever. <laughs> yeah. I, I had uh, screenshotted the, the story of... Uh, John M's when he was uh, chasing his grandmaster title, you guys had a um, a, ga- a contribution from him, yeah. and I had screenshotted it and asked him on Twitter if he remembered it. And then Natasha Regan chimed in, and like there was apparently a, a British contingent uh, there that year um, that traveled together and had you know coaches underwritten by the British Federation, as it turned out. But yeah, they were reminiscing about that Denny's at three a.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the long wait to try to get food. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to find yourself on that line. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely want to want to plan ahead when it comes to eat, sleep, and and yeah. and all that stuff. Um, yeah, like like Ilya Nizhnik said, uh, eat, uh, sleep, chess, repeat. You know, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I might not have put it in the proper order there, but uh, <laughs> but 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 you know, he he sounds like he had himself a a, a proper routine. Uh, ready to, to to play long games if necessary. You know, I think the players. I mean, I, I, I don't really know because I, I, my finger is not on the pulse so much, but I think that players today maybe are a little bit more responsible than they yeah. were in my day because, <laughs> because there was a fair amount of drinking going on during the World Open. And I have to say that almost every World Open playoff, because at some point, you know, Goichberg decided I want a clear winner. So if people tie going to be a playoff and the winner will get a little extra money um a lot of the players were not sober for those (laughs) playoffs and i actually won i actually won a playoff after i had uh, been in the player sports bar for uh, for several hours waiting for alexander ivanov and julian hodgson to finish their game which impacted first place so um you know i i suggested that perhaps uh uh, Sam Adams was not the best uh, <laughs> training partner for the playoff, but uh, managed to, to be okay in the end. He was your second? Yeah. <laughs> the first, second, the third. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm no Norwood, but <laughs> right. um, 20, I would not have won the playoff. <laughs> uh, well, great stuff, guys. We do have one more listener question, and this is from our uh, mutual friend and the founder of uh, the Chessbook Collectors Group, uh, Brian Karen, who, and of course, as we record this, you guys will be doing a book signing in a few days at the uh, at the uh, U.S. Amateur Team East Legendary uh, Team Tournament here on the Eastern Seaboard. Um, and listeners, stay tuned because I'm going to get a couple signed books to give away uh, to do as a contest. So when, when we say our goodbyes, listen for instructions on that. But uh, Brian asks if there's, if there's any chance you guys would do a similar treatment to the U.S. Amateur Team East, a similar book. Sure. Well, well, Brian. Brian's a great guy and and well known in the chess community. And his his pages on Facebook are are, are great. I love chess book collectors. Uh, but you know, I I actually did kick around the idea of you know because uh, we just celebrated the fiftieth anniversary uh, two years ago of the uh, amateur team East, and there's a lot of great uh, history there. But you know, unlike this project that I worked on with Joel, we had some great resources. 
not only did we have chess life, we had new in chess, inside chess, we had chess chow, and we had informant uh, database and to find games and also the mega base. And I think it would just be a much uh, harder project to to get games from the database because uh, not many of the games are... We'd basically have to rely on a chess life for, or, or, or for the source material. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, you know, I, and I think a, lo- a lot of the... Uh, if, if you go to the amateur team, Steve Doyle puts up these... these uh, uh, cardboard uh, things with with uh, all the collages with with all the pictures from past years so so i actually think like a picture book would be maybe even uh uh more more interesting uh that's a good idea to to summarize the the, you know that but it would be very hard to 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 do a good job i think on on the amateur team from a game standpoint yeah i i think that uh that in contrast to the world open it's it's not uh it's not uh, the same in terms of of the hardcore chess of the memorable uh games it's you know more more about stories but it, there is yeah. something there about about culture i mean it's it's not it's not quite the same audience it's not a, it's not your typical chess audience but um but this book has uh kind of made me think about the importance of recounting uh, uh, culture in, in, in books, especially American chess culture for, for our audience. So that is an angle that has got my attention and there might, you know, might be projects down the road in, 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 in that, uh, in that realm. Well, that's great to hear. Cause again, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, whether no, you can recommend it more. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> whether whether you're someone like me who sort of intersected with a lot of these stories very tangentially, or but even if you're from outside the U.S., I mean the the you get so many great little bios, you get actionable tournament advice, and of course there's the high level chess games in here as well. I mean it was amazing, you know, just to 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 see all the names that sort of passed through in the course of uh, all the the annotated games because of course um the the people that have won it the most I probably could have named you know but but then there's there's so many um, grandmasters who uh, as I alluded to like a young Hokaru and um, you know uh, my coach Axel Bachman makes a cameo like just uh, Magesh uh, you know just so many grandmasters coming when they're young um, and then they end up some of them end up being top players some of them end up being trainers some of them end up like Norwood you know operating a hedge fund or whatever it is exactly that he does but but it's just a nice little slice of chess history so so thanks guys for for taking the time to write this and to uh to come on the pod thank you ben thank you again for having us uh my pleasure and again listeners so i'll uh i'll record the instructions for the contest separately so i don't screw it up but um but we'll be giving away a couple copies i'm gonna uh, meet, see these gentlemen personally this weekend, get them to sign a few books and then uh, give them away. So stay tuned for uh, for instructions if you'd like to participate in that. Uh, so thanks again, guys. And uh, we will, uh, I'll see you in a few days. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. All right, listeners, we're going to do a giveaway of this fantastic book, Winning the World Open. I'm going to give away two signed copies signed by the authors. I will also sign it myself if the winner of the contest wants. That will be up to you. 
Um, so the instructions are going to be similar to past contests. We just want you to leave a review on a podcast platform, a five-star review. You can say whatever you want. You can be critical, but give us five stars. Hook us up. If you don't like it, you shouldn't be listening. So hopefully you give the, the pod five stars. So it can be preferably on Apple Podcasts, but if you've already done Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts. Um, if you can't find a platform to leave a review and you still want to enter the contest, I, I won't, I won't uh, disqualify you. So all you have to do is send a screenshot with a review, if you're able to, to ben at perpetualchesspod.com. In the subject line, please use the subject line contest and then you will be entered. And I will announce the winners. Uh, two weeks after this podcast comes out, I will let the winner know via email. But again, just send an email with a screenshot of a five-star slash positive review on any podcast platform, uh, preferably Apple Podcasts, but any will do. Send to Ben at perpetualchesspod.com with the subject contest, and you are in. I may not respond to every entrant right away, but if your email doesn't bounce you'll be in the contest. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all next week. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.